Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 5-17-2023, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Why don't we have prayer? Thank you, Father, for this time we have together. We thank you for life, health, and strength. And Father, we thank you for the wisdom of this age, which you have destined for our glory before time began. We thank you for those who are joining and those who may still be on their way. And we pray as we open your word according to these scriptures that you will help us understand how we are not only to understand them, but to utilize these spiritual gifts. We thank you, Father, as we continue in, in your word, that you will continue to challenge us, help us to continue to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Also, Father, <clears throat> we continue to hold... Uh, those uh, prayers out for those in the family who are suffering. And Father, you know, Dad is one, uh, my father, Frederick Presley, and then uh, he, as you know, what is happening in his life, Father, we pray for him now. Um, and we all also together pray for Mike, and you know what, circumstances are there and and family we pray for the Haddon family the, um, the many circumstances that are affecting their family and so father we pray for Fred and uh, his family and Brenda as well father lifting them up in prayer we pray for all of our families mine Carol and my children for Bill and his children and for Dave and his family and his daughter, Father, each one of us have our own particular struggles and concerns and we collectively lift each other up in prayer. We support one another and love each other when it comes to others who are in the body that are suffering. So we thank you for the privilege of being able to bring them to you, to present our requests. So Father, as we open your word, give us wisdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So we have been studying, as you know, in Romans chapter 12, and we're looking at verse uh, six, and this is our second swing at ver verse six. We covered some of it last week, but we're going to jump right into it. <clears throat> Romans twelve six reads, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. You have notes, while this may be seen to be a functional verse, it is also one of confirmation. Verses like this confirm that we are on the right path as far as interpretation. Not only that, but we now have the encouragement to stay the course. We are all special in God's sight, and none are ignored or neglected. Whatever grace in the form of gifts is bestowed upon us, we are responsible to God for their proper use. 
Will we allow God to use us in this world? That is the question. Will we submit to God? Will we not only come to know what our purpose is, but come to love the choices God has uh, made for each of us? So we, we covered a lot of these, uh, a couple of phrases. We said we have different gifts. Everybody uh, has a different gift. Um, and we know this because the scriptures have identified this. Um, and then there's, a, there's some things we covered. I would say we want to, we can't, we can't redo everything we've covered last week. That's why we have Dropbox and the website. So we're going to skip down to, we're at point number three. But I'll rehearse just a little bit in point number two, according to the grace given to each of us. So, uh, point D, remember, if we allow God to use our presence in this world, for that, we will be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. Remember, when we talk about how to function in the spiritual life, what we should be doing, then if we yield ourselves to God, God is telling us, because we did that, because we allowed him to use us, it's not us doing it. Remember, we're like the branch, and God wants to work through us. And because of that, if we allow God to use us in this world, he says he will reward us at the judgment seat of Christ, if we allow it. Same thing, Christ allowed himself, his life, to be used in this world, and therefore, God highly exalted him, gave him a name that is above every name. And, and it goes on in Philippians chapter 2. So <clears throat> that's a, it's an important thought as we think about spiritual gifts and how we would possibly make use of them in our lives. Point E, each of us, according to the grace given to each of us. None of us are insignificant in God's sight. And it's interesting to discover God's sovereignty in the gifts. We've read many passages of scripture where it talks about God gives the gifts to each one just as he will. And we should know the gifts are not random or just given for the purpose for us to maintain some morality or even hyper-morality. The gifts are given for the Father's eternal purpose. So they support that function. This is, they're not in support of our needs and what think we think will benefit us. They are in support of the Father's purpose. But of course, if we have committed ourselves to what the Father's purpose is, then it is not a far stretch for us to think, oh, okay, we're, we're, we're fulfilling the Father's purpose because we love that. This is something we've come to love. So... The gift that God has given us, whatever it is, will complement the, the eternal purpose of the Father. It's not, it's not strange to think that. In fact, it's consistent to think of, that, of it that way. Point F, don't forget God's irony in blessing Saul, the Pharisee, with the apostolic gift in the church. See, you think you know what your gift is. Everybody, well, I, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say everybody here knows what their gift is. I can't, I can't possibly make that statement. But 
what I'm saying is, if we think we have a, a, a spiritual gift, and we know we do, we just may not know what it is uh, in terms of identifying it, God's going to make that known to you if you don't know. But you think you know what it might be or what the realm of possibilities are, but you have to be open to the Spirit to use you in whatever way He sees fit. It's not up to you what spiritual gift you get, what, what role you will play. It's not up to you. Let's just keep that in mind. Now, you, it is up to us to exercise it to allow the Holy Spirit to use us in that gift. That is up to us. But it is not up to us to, to determine where we fit in or what our spiritual gift is. It is just not up to us. We have to come and recognize that and, and be okay with that and just trust God that he knows best. That's, that's one of the important things to know. I know every spiritual gifts is a big subject, but we got to trust God, the Holy Spirit, for the distribution and organization of those gifts. So point number three, this is where we are. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. We just need to unpack that a little bit. So we are given some examples to make the point. This is not an exhaustive listing of gifts. And we're going to go through quite a few gifts. Even ne next week when we get to, there's more. Uh, we're going to try to take Romans 12, 7 and 8 next week. If serving, then serve. If teaching, then teach. If it's encouraged, then give encouragement. He gives a list of gifts. But I'm, my point here is that this is not an exhaustive list of gifts. The Holy Spirit can give, just because he lists some that doesn't mean that's everything. And he doesn't list all of them in every place that he lists the gifts. Some are mentioned in some places and others are mentioned in other places. Which is to tell me that it is not, neither is an exhaustive list. That God, the Holy Spirit, gets to choose how he will support uh, the church in this world. He's the, the executive uh, on the ground. It is not us. It is God. This is remember the dispensation didn't start until the Holy Spirit came. That was the beginning, Pentecost. So now that He's here, Jesus said, He will guide you. He will lead you. He will comfort you. He will tell you things to come. He will He will make known to you the things that I'm telling. The mind of Christ. All of that is His prerogative, not ours. So we are just the recipients. We're the ones being led. And we're the ones following. They're not in the control. So God the Holy Spirit is in control. So that was, so that's point A. Point B, if your gift, just that, the thought of that, if your gift, God gives the gifts, it is up to us to identify and use them through the renewing of our minds according to the Father's plan. We've covered that in detail. I hope I don't have to keep talking about it because I want to talk about it because the Christian world does not talk about it in this fashion. They talk about, uh, we got a test for you. If you just fill out this personality survey, we can tell you what your spiritual gift is. No, you can't. You can only follow God's prescription of how to understand and identify what, spirit, what your spiritual gift is. And we already covered that 
It is through the transformation by the renewing of your mind. Then, only then will we know how to use our spiritual gifts according to God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, if your gift, right? So that means it is upon us to identify. In other words, God's going to show it to us. He's going to tell us what our gift is. And we have to expect that he will because he tells us he will. It's not a question, well, I hope I can figure it out. No, you will know what it is. It is evident that he's going to make it plain to you. If he's, We already read it in two, three, four different places that he gives these gifts. And here he's saying that you will know what it is. If your gift is this, then get to it. If it's that, then do it. And if it's other thing, then do that. It's very clear. It's not something that, well, it's going to be a mystery. You're going to be searching and not know it. You will know it when you grow up. That's when you'll know it. And you'll know it well. So the only question will be is, do you have enough courage? And that's point C. Once your gift is identified, then prophecy. Like, then prophesy. In, in the context, if your gift is prophesying, well, what should you do? <laughs> then prophesy. Why would you need to be told to perform why would we need to be told to perform our gifting? Is because it takes courage and submission to the Spirit on our part. And that's the scripture I gave there is John 15, 18, 19. Why? Because the world's going to hate us. <clears throat> it's going to hate us. So for us to step out and allow the Spirit of God to use us is going to be antagonistic to the world. If anybody seeks to live godly in Christ Jesus, they will suffer persecution. Now, if, it's, if you think the world is about you, your reputation, what you have built, what you have done in Adam, the exploits in your life, your dreams, your ambitions, then you've missed the thought of submitting your life to the purpose of God. This is when, we, when it talks about loving God, that means you are committed and devoted. It is like what Christ said, I love the Father, and I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. So that is a matter of spiritual growth. That is a matter where you understand the Father's plan, you've come to love it, and, you, and that love expresses your commitment towards it. It's, it expresses your devotion and your obedience toward the Father's purposes. And so that... That's that's a part of it, right? That's just, why would we need to be told? Because people may have come to the place where to identify it, but God doesn't take away your free will. Your gift will not be on autopilot. You will have to exercise the gift, and you will have to make a decision to allow God, the Holy Spirit, to use you in this manner. So. Point D, prophesying. So I gave the description of prophesying. I'm not going to go into it again other than to say it has two aspects of it. Foretelling and forthtelling. Foretelling is telling things that happen like it says in John 16. And he will tell you what is yet to come. So he will prophesy in order to tell us things to come for us. And not only that. We're going to learn as we get to prophecy and knowledge and tongues and all the different things. We have to start seeing them from their purpose. We're going to get to that thought. So prophesying and forth telling means 
expounding on the scriptures. Now, you know you can't expound properly on the scriptures unless the Holy Spirit is the one who is using you to do the expounding, right? It is not our opinions that when we speak about what scripture says, it's God the Holy Spirit directing us to the extent that we have our own agenda, come up with our own way of life or Father's eternal purpose, then we are rejecting the Spirit. So, But when you allow the Spirit to teach and to guide and to lead, then we know the direction He's going. We don't have to ask, well, what, what is the Spirit doing? Is He just trying to make me more moral? Is He just trying to make me hyper-moral? Like, I'm even more moral than all the moral people. That's not it. I'm not saying that morality is something we don't want. We do want that, but that's not the purpose of God. That's not the Father's eternal purpose. So the Jews thought, oh, if we could just follow this law to the T, if we could just follow everything the law says, then, then we'll be righteous before God. And that was wrong. That wasn't what God was telling them to do. He was telling them that they had a calling. First, they had to come to the knowledge of their truth, which is, the understanding of the law and the purpose that God called Israel in the first place. Once they understood that, then the objective was that they fulfill that. Well, they were rejecting salvation. They they were they couldn't even get get off of, onto first base when it came to their call because they rejected Christ. Even before he came, they were resisting the spirit. So, let's get into it. So point E, let's see, prophecy is not only telling future events uh, when it was used for the revelation of future events. It is not gratuitous. It is for God's purposes. So God doesn't just say, well, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you some trick like a magician. I'll tell you what you're thinking. And people are so impressed with these magic tricks that these magicians are able to pull off. But they don't have any gifts. This is trickery. This is just some trick that they have refined and, and figured out how to work it. And next thing you know, you're amazed. Well, the, the Holy Spirit, isn't, he's not involved in that sort of thing. Whatever he's doing, it is according to the Father's purpose. If the Holy Spirit has given the gift of prophecy to somebody, he has to also enable that person to prophesy. The prophecy is not within that person. It's through the Spirit. The person is just a conduit. He's just the branch that the Spirit can work through. There's nothing in the person. It's the Spirit. So if the Spirit does not give prophecy anymore, like we're going to get to the verse where it says, whether there be prophecy, it will fail. Well, he's not saying that the prophecies that were given are not going to be true. He's saying that that part of the prophecies where he's telling people what is yet to come, he's not going to give that anymore. That's not going to, the Holy Spirit will not be involved in doing that. And we'll see why in a minute. So that's one thing. Uh, point F, prophecy is also expounding an illumination of established scripture. Or forth, telling forth the word of God. Not telling what is to come, but telling what was established already. Because that needs illumination. You need the spirit of truth to be able to understand the things that are already written in the Bible. Bible is a spiritual book, and it needs a spiritual person to interpret it. Now, why do we say spiritual book and all this stuff? 
because God is the supernatural spiritual being. He can't communicate to us unless there is a communications liaison. And that liaison is God the Holy Spirit. You will not understand anything God has to say to you any more than you can understand Japan, a person who's speaking Japanese or Chinese. You would not understand. You need an interpreter. That's what you need. It's interesting. Kia does that. She, her, the job she wanted to do was to be an interpreter for the deaf. And, and so we, they can't communicate. They can't hear what you're saying. So what do we need? We need somebody like Kia who can interpret the message. So now you'd be, oh, I get it. That's exactly what happens when the Bible comes alive to you. And you realize that this, this is not just some regular book down, that we're reading for educational purposes. We're reading this because we are communi communing and communicating with a supernatural being. And that is God. So the Holy Spirit works so closely with us so that we get the correct interpretation, which is what we're after here. That's why we're here tonight. So... That's expounding. That's, that's what it is. So some thoughts on the purpose of spiritual gifting. And this, is, this is important because I, I think we need to make sure we understand that there are temporary. This is the first point. It is evident that there are temporary and permanent spiritual gifts. And some people, I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because this is where we're going to be coming from to establish these points. For me to say these points, people think that's heresy. How can you possibly say that there are temporary spiritual gifts? Gift of tongues and healing and miracles and all these things, they're still extent. They're still going on. And who am I to say that these things have no longer uh, are no longer being used in the church? Well, this would also be to say, if I'm saying such a thing, I'm saying that whatever you're doing, and speaking in tongues or prophesying or healing and all these things are false. And I am saying that. You know why? Because the Apostle Paul said it. It's in the Word. And where did he get it from? The Holy Spirit. And the, You can't perform a gift if the Holy Spirit stops giving it to you. If he stops the function of that gift, you can't operate in that anymore. Point. That's the end of it. Only the Holy Spirit have, has the power and authority to allow us to operate in spiritual gifts. So, it's evident from 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13, we'll have to go through this because it deals with three spiritual gifts that he says, this is the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul, to the Corinthians who had it all screwed up and needed rebuking because they were out of order. There, there was confusion, there was disorder, and people were falsely using the spiritual gifts and had wrong attitudes about them. So he has to, so 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. Now he's contrasting love here with something that does fail. <laughs> you think, if love never fails, well, he's talking about something now that does fail. And I don't have to even make that point. He makes the point. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. 
where there is knowledge, it will pass away. So just know, prophecy and knowledge are spiritual gifts. If you go back to 12, 1 Corinthians 12, you will see that uh, he's, this prophecy and knowledge is, these, these are a part of the spiritual gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So this is important for you to see that it is not some like general knowledge. It is the gift of knowledge. That means you can't know these things unless uh, unless the Holy Spirit gives them to you. Now, if the Holy Spirit is going to give you some knowledge in this age, what do you think it's going to be? <laughs> Just take a wild guess of what you think the knowledge that the Holy Spirit is going to give you. Is he going to give you the knowledge to tell somebody, God, God is working with you. Just hold on. Your blessing is coming. That's not it. That's not a word of knowledge. It's about this new age information that was hidden in God. Nobody knew it. It was never revealed. But now it is all of a sudden. So how are we to function? How do we operate under this new dispensation? How can we... What about Jews and Gentiles? Are, are they together in one body? And what about all the questions about the law? All that. God gave the gift of knowledge to help people know. Automatically, he would give it to some so that they could navigate through all of these difficult waters. So in the early church, this and we already been talking about the early church because of Galatians, and we have seen that it was a mess. It was a mess because there were so many people vying for different directions to take the church in different directions that the Holy Spirit did not want to go in. So what do we have? We have these things written for our posterity, not only for us, but for those who may come after us. It's in the Bible now what God's way is. So it's important. God wanted to do that. Let's look at it. So that's prophecies. Is to, These are communication gifts. Notice all of them that he mentions here are communication gifts. Tongues, prophecies, knowledge, right? He's saying the better thing is love. Love is where we come to the knowledge of the truth. Remember, we love is a mature status quo where you come to the place where you grow up and you are, your mind is transformed and renewed according to the Father's plan. So you now know. And what happens with love is reciprocal now because you see that he chose you before time began. And now you come to love him. You come to love his decisions that he made. You understand what the church is all about and what God's eternal purpose is regarding us so not only do you know all that but you love it you you recognize that this is the father's magnum opus the highest goal that the father has this is why he created all things in the first place if you want to know why well, did god create the universe well here it is that's what we've been talking about when we say the father's eternal purpose so let's get to it. Love never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they will cease. Whether there are tongues, there will be still. Whether there be knowledge, it will pass away. This doesn't tell us why those things will pass away, but it says they will. So we, ha we can expect that they will. So we have to talk about these things. We're going to first talk about tongues, because from here, he just says tongues will, will cease. 
uh, or, or they will tongues will be stilled. But he doesn't say why. But he's going to explain in the context why prophecy and knowledge cease. So, you know, I just thought I would read this one thing about tongues. And this is a paper that I wrote 26 years ago. I just looked that up. <laughs> I didn't remember. But yes, it was 26 years ago I wrote this paper. The name of the paper is Whether There Be Tongues, They Shall Cease. It is on our website. I'm just going to read page two toward the end. It's the second, third paragraph. Sir. It says, what are tongues? Tongues are simply languages. However, the gift of tongues is given by God, the Holy Spirit. He gives the ability to believers to speak in a language not previously known. After searching all the scripture references for tongues, from Genesis to Revelation, I find that tongues only refer to actual languages. Never in the Bible is there a reference to a language that is unintelligible. If I have overlooked a reference, and this is possible, I would certainly hope the reader would point it out to me. Therefore, babbling or saying any syllable that comes to mind is not speaking in tongues. There is no reference to any such thing in the Bible. Tongues are actual languages, nothing more and nothing less. To try to make a case for anything else is to go outside of the word. If it is not in the word, then you are treading on dangerous ground and can possibly be deceived. So Paul reminds us, quote, do not go beyond what is written, 1 Corinthians 4, 6. It is like the popular trend among some of being slain in the spirit. Since this is not found anywhere in the Bible, why are people pursuing this behavior? The Holy Spirit does not knock anybody unconscious to the floor. This activity is not biblical at all. And I reject the notion that God the Holy Spirit causes anyone to act in such a manner. There are also those who claim they are speaking in tongues and clearly are just babbling. This is not speaking in tongues, and whatever it is, God the Holy Spirit is not behind it. By far, the greatest references to tongues are found in two books, Acts and Corinthians. In Acts, we find the testimony that the apostles in Jerusalem did speak in tongues, that is languages, in Acts 2, 6-11. When we see when the gift first came, and they were certainly speaking real languages. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, we see tongues mentioned again and explained in detail. Again, we do not see tongues being anything mentioned, uh, anything but real languages. We also find another gift that gives us more evidence that tongues were real languages. And that is, quote, the interpretation of tongues. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, 30, 14, 5. Only real languages would need interpretation. 1 Corinthians 14, 28 says that if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep silent. So tongues are real languages. That's just the introduction of it. Uh, I'm stopping here. There's much more I could, but I will recommend that all of us read this. Take time to read if you haven't already. And if you have already, Read it again. I've read it again several times. <laughs> so you need to be familiar. When, when the Bible says tongues will cease, I could ask a question, when did tongues cease? I wonder if you would know what that answer is. 
uh, I would leave you time to read this paper so you know exactly when the gift of tongues cease. All right, so we talked about tongues, but we, let's keep going. Point number two. So the context. And this is going back. Keep Open your Bible. Your finger should be on 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to go through this quickly. I know we have a little time. So here we go. <clears throat> the pro prophecy, knowledge, tongues are, are three gifts mentioned as an example of what is temporary. Well, if it says it will cease, it will fail, it will, it will stop, then that is temporary. If it wasn't going to stop throughout the church age, it wouldn't have to say it would cease, it would stop. Would it? I mean, if it was not going to, when it says love never fails, it doesn't have to say yeah, love remains. Even at the end, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Well, it said earlier in 8 that love never fails. So we would expect love to continue throughout the church age. But tongues and prophecy and knowledge, well, no, they're not going to continue throughout the church age. It says they will stop, they will cease, they will fail. So we, we should expect that understanding. So we should know that tongues was to warn Israel of an impending judgment. And that comes from 1 Corinthians 14, 20, 21 and 22. Right? That's, actually, I'm already into number three now. When will they stop? Tongues are a warning to national Israel. 1 Corinthians 14, 21 and 22. Let's read it real quick. Um, 14 here, 21 says, and this is in the heart of the tongues chapter. That is where Paul is explaining and regulating the use of tongues. Right? He says, in the law, it is written with men of other tongues, and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So, so if Paul is quoting, and I have it here, from Isaiah 28, 7 through 14. I'm going to go right there and we're going to read how tongues, uh, how Paul quotes this. Why would he quote this? It's because tongues refers back to this prophecy. Now, I'm saying all this, but I also said you could read the paper. All of this is in detail in the paper. So you'll be able to take a look at it if I'm going too fast or rushing through it. Isaiah chapter 28, verses 7 through 14. So, and these also stagger from wine, real and real from beer. Priests and prophets stagger from beer and are befuddled with wine. They reel from beer and they stagger when seeing visions. They stumble when rendering decisions. So Israel was at a terrible time in their history that talk about degeneracy they were a, a nation where drunk they were drunkards and it tells you even the priests look at verse 8 all the tables are covered with vomit and there is not a spot without filth can you imagine that sitting at a table and it's covered in all this vomit because people well they don't have to you know what vomit is i don't want to paint any pictures nine verse nine 
who is he trying to teach? To whom is he explaining the message? The children weaned from their milk to those just taken from the breast. So what is he saying? This whole generation has gone astray. I'm going to have to look to the next generation, the children. For this, for it is, do this, do that, a rule for this, a rule for that, a little here, a little there, right? This is, if you hear this, when he's saying this, right, he's, it sounds like the drunkards. Literally, Isaiah is mocking the drunkards. So it, I'm not even going to tell you. I used to actually say what this says in the Hebrew, but I'm not going to do it today. But it, when, I, when you hear this in the Hebrew, it sounds like a drunkard talking, right? Anyway, uh, verse 10, for, uh, 11. Very well then, with foreign lips and strange tongues, will God speak to this people, to whom he said, uh, this is the resting place. Let the weary rest, and this is the place of repose. But they would not listen. Same thing he said. And what Paul is, if we fast forward to where the time Paul is talking about this, he's talking about it in the context of the first century and the Corinthians. And it is a warning to the Jews who rejected their Messiah. So then, verse 13, the word of the Lord to them will become do this, do that. A rule for this and a rule for that. A little here and a little there. I know people say that that is how we interpret the word. We're supposed to look at here, look over there. Again, I, what's really happening in this is Isaiah is mocking them by the way it sounds in the Hebrew. Do this, do that. A rule for this, a rule for that. A little here, a little there. And the way it sounds in the Hebrew, as I said, and they will fall backward and they will be injured and snared and captured. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. You boast we have entered into a covenant with death. And, and I'm beyond the scriptures, but it goes into this. This is still about how I lay a, a stone. This is verse 16, a stone in Zion, a tested stone. That's Christ coming to his people, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation, the one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Everybody is, can be saved or lost based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is the bottom line. So nobody can cover this. He says, your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with, uh, with the realm of the dead will not stand when the overwhelming scourge sweeps by. You will be beaten down by it. He's talking about judgment upon these people who rejected their Messiah. I'm going to move right into Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Let's get right there. And this is the fulfillment of it. And Jesus is talking about it, the destruction of Jerusalem. So if we go down to verse 21, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment. Notice, Jesus says, in fulfillment of all that has been written. Well, this is, Jesus was a student of prophecy. He understood what was happening in Isaiah. And he understood, just like it said there, that there was going to be punishment. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Uh, they will, there will be great distress in the land and wrath against who? This people. That's Israel. 
they will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all nations, uh, all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Yeah, it was, so, so tongues, it's like it says, it's not for believers, it's for unbelievers. It's a warning to unbelievers. When did tongues end? We know the exact month and date that tongues ended. I will let you read the paper and you come back and you can tell me when that is. So let's keep going. So that's tongues. They did cease. They, nobody, so that is to say nobody is speaking in tongues in this age right now. You know why? Because for two reasons, I can clearly say there's probably more. One, what they were warning about happened, and they did receive the judgment. And two, only you can only speak in tongues if God the Holy Spirit enables you to do it. If he stops giving you, if he's telling you it's temporary and it stops, you can't speak in tongues. The only thing you could do is try to perpetuate the spiritual gift yourself. And what do we see today? Babbling, saying any syllable that comes to mind. This and, and people, are, people are supposed to be impressed with that. I can clearly see your babbling. And what, what is that? There is no interpretation needed for that. It's, it's, it literally is childish foolishness. And I was talking to someone today, I won't mention whose name it was, but I was telling them, you ever hear baby, like when they just trying to learn, they hear people talking, but they can't pronounce the syllables. And that baby is saying stuff, but the syllables and words coming out, who knows what they are. We don't look at that and say, oh, this is spiritual. We say that's baby talk. That's what baby talk. That's all it is. And that baby has the look on their face like they're really saying something. But really, they're talking loud and saying nothing. There is no interpretation for that. It's baby talk. All the, Most babies do that. I don't know if all of them do it, but I've seen it. It is funny, too, if you, if you think about it. But what's going on in the church today is not funny. It is not. People are looking at this as though they have spiritual badges of honor because they can babble. This makes no sense. And the world is looking at us and judging us based on the childish behavior of some in the church. So we have to... Paul rebuked them. That's what he did. That's why he wrote these chapters. This was a rebuke to these childish ways that these believers were behaving. In fact, you go to, here it is. I don't even have to make this stuff up. I'm, I really don't. I'm literally, 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Let, let's read that. It says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. And then he tells you the purpose, and the Lord is written. He's given, now he tells you the true purpose for tongues. Verse 21 is where we were. Childish. That's what it is. Childish behavior. And for people who don't understand, I'm sorry, but that is not the word of God. That is, we've, we've had this 
this understanding. We've taught it. We, this is not, the, the spirit is not behind. Whatever this is, God is not behind it. I'm just, we'll say it that way. God, the Holy Spirit is not motivating these people to do that. And he is not behind tongues. So it is something that is a blight on the church today. It is literally, uh, it is the scab of evil that is perpetuated to try to, to try to manufacture a spiritual gift that has no longer any spiritual energy behind it. The Holy Spirit is not causing anybody to speak in tongues today. Let's keep going. Prophecy and knowledge. This is point number four. Pro now, let's keep reading. Back to 1 Corinthians 13. And this is, as I said, this is a controversial subject for many. Not for us, but for many. Watch this. We said, let's read 8 again. Love never fails. Whether it be prophecies, they will cease. Whether there are tongues, they shall be stilled. Whether there is knowledge, it will pass away. Now, verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Well, what does he mean in part? Temporary. We don't, we don't have the full knowledge, but God is using this to temporarily give guidance through knowledge and prophecy. These two spiritual gifts. He's saying because the church is in its infancy and needs help. We're changing. It's, a, it's tra in transition from Israel to the church. And from that transition, we need information more than anything. We need prophecy. We need information. We need prophecy is how the word of God was written. It came by prophecy. We sit, the, Paul says it is God breathed, literally. That's how we got the scriptures. So he's saying here, we know the gift of knowledge is in part. We, it's, and then we prophesy in part. What will, how we know when when they will disappear well verse 10 but when the completeness comes what is in part disappears you don't when when god gives a complete what's the what what are prophecy and knowledge for why did he give prophecy and knowledge well it's a new age it's a new dispensation so for, here's a good example right so are we under the dietary restrictions when there was no written scripture to tell us that all things can be received. If there is nothing unclean of itself. You can receive it. Just all you have to do is give thanks. And you can receive. That's written for us. But what about when that was not written? How would people know that? How would people know how to function? Because these are people who kept the Mosaic Law. Who paid attention to what it said about in Deuteronomy 11 or, or, or uh, 14. Leviticus 11 or Deuteronomy 14. They paid attention to the dietary restrictions that were given through Moses. How would they know that they don't have to be sub subject to that anymore? It was part of their culture. They're, God gave it to them. It is because God gave prophecy in part when it, when it wasn't written. Well, the complete... What would complete that would be the fact that God would have it condensed to writing. And now today, we don't have to, nobody has to prophesy to me to say, hey, Doug, you can have that, those ribs. You can have them. Because I can read it right there in the scripture. And God, the Holy Spirit, can give me the proper understanding or interpretation 
that I don't have to worry about the Mosaic Law anymore in that regard. I don't. So that's complete. God doesn't have to keep prophecy going to tell the next generation and the next generation. It stands written. That's how he did it. That's how it works. So he's saying here, so in verse 10, but when the completeness comes, the perfection comes, when that which is perfect comes, well, well then that which is in part, what's in part, by the way? Prophecy and knowledge. We ain't, we're not talking about tongues, and it doesn't go into tongues anymore because we already talked about tongues and ceasing, right? How tongues would be stilled. But when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Doesn't Well, it doesn't disappear. We just don't need it anymore from that perspective because the completeness eclipses. The, the completeness not only has what was in part or temporary, it has the rest of it so that we have the full understanding of whatever prophecy was communicating. It's, it disappears. Now, he gives two more examples. Watch this. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways or the ways of childhood behind me. There again, what is he talking about? Can we just look at this as our spiritual growth? No, because you got to look at the context of why he would say such a thing. When he was a child, he's talking about the early church and its infancy. It needed these this prophecy in part, and it needed the knowledge in part. It needed this for the new dispensation. It wasn't written. And he's saying, yeah, when I was a child, I did that. I, t I talked like a child. The I used these temporary spiritual gifts. But when I became a man, when I grew up, and when the completeness came and it was written, I don't need that anymore. I put the ways of childhood behind me. This is why he's saying it was cease. It will, if it's knowledge, it will be. It will cease. It will pass away. Won't need it, because we have it in writing. Another analogy, verse twelve. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. So the poor reflection is what it is. In the ancient world, they have poor reflection. They did not have good mirrors like we have today. So when they, they would have to polish them because they would become, you know, the oxidation would come would get on them and they would have to constantly polish them before, and they still weren't good. Then what he's saying is we see only reflection as in the mirror. The mirror is representative in this context as the word of God. And we did not have the full understanding in this dispensation. I mean, for God to tell us there's, we're not under the law, he, there's some explanations that need to be given to us. And sure enough, we, we see through a reflection as in a mirror. Dull. But then we see face to face. It is as literally as God is going to give us the full truth, full reality. Face to face is not us going to heaven. He's talking about revelation here. Now I know in part. There it goes. That follows with the context. Now I know in part. Then shall I, then, when is then? When the complete, verse 10, when the completeness comes. That's when then is. It's not when you get to heaven, right? So just know that. Follow the context. 
then shall I know fully, even as I am fully known. So in other words, just like we know ourselves, we'll know what God's will is. It's interesting because God, the Holy Spirit, is in us. We will know fully, even as I am fully known. So how do we know? We still stand on track, verse 13. And now these three remain. Remain when? In heaven? No, I'm not talking about heaven. We're talking about here, on the ground. These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. Well, certainly we don't need faith when we get to heaven. We don't need hope. Who hopes for what he already has when we get to heaven? And love. These are the three things that abide, that we should be focused on. The Corinthians, he's in particular, because they were enamored with the false use of spiritual gifts. The greatest of these is love. If you just have the devotion, the knowledge, the spiritual adulthood, to follow what God's plan is and to allow him to use you in this world, then you will be rewarded, as we said, at the judgment seat of Christ. So uh, that was point number four, right? Point number five in our notes. The, uh, the understanding giving here is not exhaustive. So in other words, there are more temporary spiritual gifts. He's just giving you an example so that we should look at the gifts, not just, oh, this is a great thing to have. You know, we should look at them from their use and their purpose, right? So if, if the purpose of, of tongues was to warn in Israel of an impending destruction or judgment, well, we, that's how we ought to understand tongues. Paul made that point. If the purpose of prophecy and knowledge is to give information in part, well, when the completeness comes, and when the complete revelation comes, we don't need that which is in part anymore. That just makes sense. So temporary spiritual gifts, um, you know, um, they exist. They existed in the early age until they came to a, a logical end. In other words, there are other temporary gifts, right? And here's some of them. Wisdom, the gift of wisdom. The gift of faith, miraculous powers, distinguishing between spirits, apostles, right? Why, why do I say apostles? Because there are no apostles in this age. That gift ceased when God gave a specific number of apostles. That's it. Miracles, gifts of healing, etc. And you can find all of those that I just read in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11, 29 through 30. So, Looks like I thought we would have enough time to finish, but I will pause again to uh, just stop because people think that these temporary gifts are still happening today. So they just pick whatever they want and decide, hey, I'm an apostle. I'm a prophet. I'm a this. I'm a that. You don't get to do that. God, the Holy Spirit, gives the gifts. And how... When, how would you identify that gift? Well, certain, certain gifts have expired. They've gone past their use, like apostles. They're in the foundation of the church. Apostles and prophets. Well, God used those to establish the word of God and the way that God wanted the church to go. Well, they're in the foundation. We don't need to have apostles here. We follow the apostles' doctrine. We earnestly contend for the faith, the body of truth, which was once for all delivered to the saints. 
I think we shouldn't rush through this. We'll take our time so that next week, if I find there is more interest in this, we'll take more time for Q&A. I'll pause to see if anyone at this point has any questions or thoughts, anything that it was not clear that I could help. The floor is open. All right, so if there are no questions, you have to take yourself off mute if you did have one. I will continue <clears throat> with, with what we got a few more points to make and then we'll close. So <clears throat> point G, when we look at the gifts according to God's purposes, we can easily see what is temporary to establish his word and the new dispensation in the infancy of the church. See, so we have to look at it from God's purposes. But what if you don't know what God's purpose is? What if you don't know what the Father's eternal purpose? Then you can't properly evaluate spiritual gifts. Because spiritual gifts are given to accentuate God's purposes, not, not in some other direction. Spiritual gifts are given for the new dispensation, not some... Uh, purpose Israel had, in particular, point H. Many object to the thought that some spiritual gifts can be temporary. And uh, they feel like we are limiting the word of God. I didn't limit it. God did. He said here in 8, it, something that never fails, which is love. But then he talks about things that will come to an end. So don't get hung up on spiritual gifts. Focus on love. Allow your devotion, whatever God, you are ready to be used of God in whatever way he wants to use you. Love. That's the highest goal in the spiritual life. That was the highest goal that Christ himself had when he was here on earth. He wanted to fulfill the Father's plan for his life. And he did. Thank God. He did. So that we are here today. So they object to that thought, but they're not focused on the proper thought here. But they do this without an understanding of the Father's purpose. Right? So the training wheel analogy, I've given that before where you, you don't, once you are a little kid and you're riding a bicycle, you're trying to learn how to ride a bicycle, Training wheels are appropriate. But after you've figured out how to ride the bicycle, we've got to take the training wheels off. What does it look like for an adult riding with training wheels? Not good. Well, unless they never rode a bike. That's one thing. But once you know how to ride a bike, you don't need the training wheels anymore, do you? Do you really need the training wheels? No, you kick those off. Bike was never meant to be with training wheels. That was only to help you learn. And so it is with these temporary spiritual gifts. Point I, according to your faith. Right? So, and this is this last part where it says, according to your faith. Again, this is confirmation. So faith is not, some, is not something we have. It is specialized information where the spirit of truth equips and enables us to function according to the gifting he provided. 
Yeah, you, if, if, whatever your gift is, God the Holy Spirit has to give you specialized information in order for you to utilize that. You still have to have courage. You still have to make a decision to allow the Spirit to use you. It's, the ball is still in your court, even though the Spirit has enabled you, equipped you. But you have to make the decision to allow God the Holy Spirit to manifest in you. Point J, as mentioned earlier, the subject of spiritual gifts is controversial. I say this because if you try to run up to somebody and think that they're you know, just going to bend to what you say, it's controversial. But those, uh, there are those who refuse to see the gifts in the context of their purpose for the church. What should we do? I'll close with this one scripture. It's in 2 Timothy. It's one passage, 23 through 26. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, at the end, 23. <clears throat> it says, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope. These are fellow believers. In the hope that God will grant them repentance. Repentance here means a change of mind. Leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. That's the attitude that we should have when it comes to instructing people who are caught in these traps where they are trying to perpetuate these spiritual gifts. We're going to close. Let's bow our heads as we do. Thank you, Father. We're glad we had this opportunity. We pray as this is such an important subject that we need to know how to grow up in Christ. What is the direction? You have laid these things out for us in detail. Father, I pray each and every person here under the sound of my voice would certainly see what you are saying in this regard. Teach them, Father. So, Father, also, as we close, we pray for, again for all of those that have been mentioned earlier. We lift them up in prayer, asking for your mercy. And we thank you, Father, for making these things clear to us, allowing us to see your intention, your will, and purpose. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.